Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first-team contracts. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of Seattle Sounders. You know who he is. Brian... How are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Hello and welcome in to another episode of Sounder at Heart podcast. I, of course, am your host, Mark Kastner, and I am joined today by just Jeremiah O'Shan, the big man himself, the main fella. The one and only. Uh, another year older as of last week. Uh, and we're going to talk about the Seattle Sounders general manager news that has happened over the last week. Uh, not a whole lot to talk about, right, Jeremiah? Yeah, right. Nothing, <laughs> not, not, not too much to talk about. Um, you know, I guess we, we went over a lot of the Garth stuff last week, so I don't want to uh, belabor the Garth element of this too much. Uh, but we did get the Craig Weibel introductory press conference uh, in the time between Lagerway, uh leaving the Sounders and, and Weibel uh, being announced. There was about a, a week long uh, period there. And I spent a fair amount of that time, like trying to figure out some more background info on, on Weibel. And I, I came away pretty impressed. Like I, I think, they are similar. They they arrive at similar points in the way that they do their work, like in the way that they like value empowering others and and really believing in the process over the end results and and like kind of some of those things. But the way they get there, is pretty different. I think we'll, we'll see. Uh, you know, Garth was very much uh, a lawyer, and even though they were both former players. Uh, Weibel is seen as a bit more of a, you know, like he he carries himself a bit more like a former player, uh, but but still sort of like a, a thinker. But I don't know. Do we want to do we want to go over the the logger way aspect of this too much? Uh, he he. Was... I mean, we can talk about it a little bit. Yeah, we can. We kind of. I mean, I think kind of talking through the timeline makes sense. So obviously, we recorded last Tuesday, almost immediately following uh, the news that Garth Lagerway was hired as CEO and club president of Atlanta United. Uh, We didn't have a whole lot of details then other than it just kind of happened and it being kind of right before Thanksgiving, obviously both Atlanta and the Sounders kind of punted news into this week. Um, So if you haven't been following very closely, uh, the timeline kind of goes as follows Um, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, which was last week. Atlanta United hires Garth Lagerway as club president and CEO. Um, then, you know, everything pauses for the holiday. Uh, earlier this week, was it Monday or Tuesday, that um, yeah, Garth uh, has his introductory press conference in Atlanta? Yeah. Kind of obviously fields questions about his departure from Seattle and uh obviously talks about arriving in Atlanta. And then on Wednesday of this week, uh, the Sounders announced 
Craig Weibel as uh, CEO, or excuse me, uh, general manager and um, like chief soccer chief, officer. Yeah, chief soccer officer, which is like a very tech startup fake position created, but sounds cool. Uh, Although I will say, <laughs> I, will, I will say, I think we're going to hear a lot more about chief soccer officers. It's always sort of been the way the league refers to as the top soccer uh, person. And so there was like a CSO working group uh, in the league. And, and it was sort of like, not necessarily a title that everyone had, it was more of a designation. And I even think the Sounders use CSO in the constitution to explain like, who, who you're being uh, like, who's up for recall but anyway go ahead interesting okay i didn't know that that's interesting uh i'm not sure a lot of people knew that but no i don't think they they probably didn't but so so craig is hired officially wednesday morning and has his introductory press conference on wednesday afternoon down at long acres and uh that's kind of the timeline i think a couple couple important things to know is once again um atlanta united hired hired garth logway to be club president and CEO, which is something that's not general manager and completely soccer focused. So that's just kind of something to keep your eye on. And also important is while Craig Weibel was being hired as the Sounders general manager, which of course was a title that Garth Lagerwey held during his about eight years here in Seattle. He's very distinctly Craig Weibel, that is, is not president of soccer, which Garth Lagerwey was uh when he was here and that position still remains to be filled or well, we don't know if it will be filled yeah so I, I i asked around about that part of it and that's maybe a good place to start is maybe in the way these titles got separated is i don't i don't think i definitely don't expect them to hire a separate chief soccer or a, a separate president of soccer. I think that was sort of like a title that they gave Garth when they hired him originally in 2014, 2015, uh, to sort of like sweeten the pot as a way of saying like, oh, well, we're going to change our org structure and we're going to pay you more than we were. Like we, they didn't have a, you know, it was like Adrian, they had a different organization. Like the organization structure was different then. And and I don't think, I think it's just a title. Uh, it might come yeah. with some money, but it's not, I don't think, like there's like there's no responsibility as best I can tell that Craig Weibel uh, or that Garth had here that Craig Weibel won't have. Like they still oversee all the same people. They still, all the same people report to them. They still have the same level of authority. And, and maybe I'm guessing... Garth was paid better than than Craig is getting now, uh, but that maybe has more to do with like how much leverage he had and in, in you know his original negotiations or or whatever. So I don't. I originally thought that was maybe a notable thing, although in the last few days I've learned that maybe it wasn't as notable. And and you know maybe it gives the Sounders some like title to eventually bestow upon Craig Weibel if they want to give him a raise <laughs> or something like that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the, the big takeaway from Garth's press conference is clarification on what exactly he's doing. And as I suspected, he's not the chief soccer officer in Atlanta, uh, to use that term. That's going to still be Carlos Bocanegra. So Bocanegra reports to, to Garth. I, I think 
Garth will still be involved in some big soccer decisions, but he's not going to be identifying free agents. He's not going to be scouting players. I, you know, maybe he's involved in like the big signings and, and maybe he's involved in, you know, some of the other, I think he's going to be really involved in organizing the way that the soccer side of things is set up, but probably less roster decisions. Uh, You know, ultimately it's Carlos Bocanegra. I, I, as my understanding is, you know, ultimately Carlos Bocanegra has oversight over the roster. He has oversight over the coaching staff and, um, you know, I suppose if Garth wants something done, it will be done. And I suppose if he disagrees with Carlos uh, Bocanegra over some decision, he can sort of overrule him. But I think if it works as designed, you know, he, he he's not going to be roster building, I guess, is the short term there. And um, that's probably good for the Sounders. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it really matters. At the end yeah, of the day. it probably doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm still, yeah. I mean, I hate Atlanta United a lot, but that's just because I'm weird. Uh, <laughs> uh, and they just kind of like, I don't know. We don't really have to get into that other than what I just stated, um, which is probably just too much information to share anyways. Um, I do I do kind of want to maybe, I don't know if you have anything more you want to say about Garth, but I do kind of want to transition this conversation to mostly be focused on Craig Weibel because uh He's the one that works for the Sounders. Um, you you kind of just mentioned about how Garth gets to kind of structure stuff in his new role in Atlanta and whatnot. But um, I think maybe maybe the most interesting thing about Craig Weibel being hired as general manager and not the Sounders kind of going out and hiring another team's guy or whatever is that Garth spent about eight years building this kind of soccer structure with the Sounders that they didn't have previously. So replacing Garth Lagerway got a whole lot easier because of Garth Lagerway, right? Yeah, exactly. I think that that was honestly probably my biggest takeaway from all of this is sort of like appreciating how much easier Garth made it to move on from him in some ways. And I think Garth would have been more than happy to stay if he could have gotten a comparable title uh, that he ended up getting in, in, in Atlanta, but the Sounders aren't set up that way now. And I don't think they were inclined to sort of go through that level of reorganization in order to accommodate Garth. And, and, I don't and they don't need they, to. Right. And they don't exactly they, the way it's when you have an Adrian Hanauer, who is really a hands-on or who by all, but everyone I've talked to, my experience with Adrian is that he is very competent. He's, you know, he's basically been running this team for 20 odd years, going back to the USL days. And so I don't think there's a compelling reason for him to sort of like give up that responsibility and hand it over, uh, especially if it, you know, especially when they have a very capable person running the business side. And, you know, it's just like, it's, it's just not necessary for them to, to, to organize that way. And I think Craig uh, Weibel will be very focused on the technical aspects of this job. He's going to be a, I think he'll be very hands-on. I don't think he's going to be dis- distracted with sort of like bigger picture elements. And he, he's, you know, everyone says he's a very good uh, talent evaluator. Uh, everyone seems to like dealing with him. He's pretty straightforward. You know, he, the way he talks is engaging and 
He makes people feel like they are being heard. Uh, you know, Brian Schmetzer seems to really like the the prospect of working with him. Uh, and I, and I think there's a I don't think it's being overly Pollyannish to suggest that everyone's going to end up getting what they want out of this thing, which is, you know, Garth is going to move on to a, a bigger title and have an even bigger organ. Like just the reality is that the organization that the, um, that Atlanta United is part of is a bigger organization than the Sounders in part because it includes the Falcons, but also because it's just, it's just a, a big, big, and they like own the stadium and stuff like right, that. Right, exactly. It would be yeah. like it, it would be akin to the setup when the Sounders were part of uh the Seahawks and he yeah. was getting a job sort of like at the almost at the Seahawks level of, of management and or, or like uh anyway, it, it, it was yeah. it's a different it's a different kind of situation. I think the Sounders potentially are better off in part because Garth really did do a ton of work. Uh prepping for his eventual departure you know he he really built up the academy he turned the analytics department into a, a leading edge analytics department he, he not only just in mls but in the world of football like right i hear absolutely. i hear from people in europe and stuff tell me like you know they come to conferences to hear from people from the sounders so yeah yeah absolutely like one of the easiest ways to maybe illustrate the change that the sounders went through is when he was hired in 20, the end of 2014, they had something like 24 people listed on their, on their staff ma- uh, masthead. And my understanding is of those 24, a bunch of them were like really not full-time employees. They were like doing part-time work, you know, especially the academy coaches and whatnot. And now you look at the same masthead and there's about 50 people. So he basically doubled the number of people that were on the technical staff for the Sounders. And on top of that, there's way more full timers. There's people that that this is their only job. They're getting paid, you know, competitive wages, uh, and it, it they totally transform. You know, you go out to a training session, and there's like twelve or thirteen people out there doing various things, whether it be equipment work or uh, tracking, you know, fitness data or coaches that are observing things. I mean, it's it's it looks. I imagine how like top Europeans teams look in terms of like the number of support staff that are out there yeah. helping and, and setting things up. <clears throat> a lot, a lot different, a lot has changed from when Ziggy was coach and just kind of like, it was him and Brian uh, and, and like, like two other guys and like medical staff out there. And <clears throat> Chad, yeah. Chad Barrett had to bring out his own pickle juice to drink after training. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. And he had his little cooler that he would bring out from the locker room. Um, and a lot of that's due to Garth. So in a lot of ways, like <clears throat> it's kind of Garth's fault that he got replaced or uh, I mean, I was just trying to make a joke, but that didn't land. No, I, I, I mean, I think, I mean, I do think that and that was sort of like the by design on some level. Like he, I think he wanted to, that's like what he does. That's sort of like how he operates is that uh, he goes someplace. He does his best to, improve it as much as possible and then he's sort of like looking for the next big challenge and i suppose there's a there's a reality where that next big challenge was created here and he would have stayed uh but i don't know how realistic that was ever going to be and he certainly has a new challenge in atlanta and it's on a different kind of scale and he's got a big budget and you know good for him but I and he really- also has a lot of ways to fail 
Right. And there's also a lot of ways it fail. And who knows, maybe in two or three years, he'll be kicking himself for taking this job. Uh, but I will say there's, it seems like there's, I guess I'm not surprised because when Craig was first hired last year, uh, he was, it was I a said, little bit of, what was the title he had when he was hired? I think he was hired as the I think sporting director sporting or something. Director. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, people were a little underwhelmed by that in part because, you know, here's a guy who is sort of a known quantity, but not as impressive as, you know, his, like, I don't know, people just weren't super impressed uh, by his resume, even though he had run RSL pretty competently for five years. And I, I will say one thing I don't think people totally appreciated is the challenge that RSL was when he took over there. Yeah, and, I did want to talk about that. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. I, like, it, and I'll kind of let you go because you obviously know a lot more. You have a lot more information about this than I do. But RSL didn't win anything when Craig Weibel was GM. I think that's what people look at. People kind of, mm. especially Sounders fans, I feel like look at RSL as kind of one of the one of the little brothers that they have in the league. Um, like that terminology gets thrown around to Portland a lot, but I think it's fair to say that that exists with Vancouver, RSL, and maybe San Jose to an extent. But it's this organization that was better than the Sounders when the Sounders came into the league. The Sounders quickly became a much bigger club and much bigger organization in Sounders fans' eyes. Um, I don't want to piss off any RSL fans. But um, so anytime the Sounders kind of take something from RSL, it's sort of underwhelming. We we had right. that we had we had this conversation a year ago, or not even right. a year ago, ten months ago right. when we signed yeah, Albert like Rusnak. Uh, but I'll go ahead and let you talk more about kind of the situation Craig Weibel is in because it is uh, impossible and fascinating, and he also did a very good job. Yeah. So when he took over at, I guess if we rewind back to twenty late twenty fourteen when the Sounders hired Garth. Uh, it wasn't that Garth left RSL in a complete shamble. Certainly RSL was much better off than when he took over in 2007, when him and Jason Christ came in and it was an absolute, you know, it was a total shit show. Uh, but he had built it up so that it was at least like a functional MLS team. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but Weibel the previous year had been an assistant for the first team, like an assistant coach. And my understanding is actually that the Sounders tried to hire him to be an S2 assistant for Ezra Hendrickson, uh, <laughs> in like ahead of the 2015 season. And that sort of is what prompted Deloitte Hansen to be like, nope, 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 we're going to keep him. And I don't know, I guess he must have already had some, like there's some inkling of him moving into the front office because I can't imagine they just randomly tapped a, an assistant coach to be, uh, to be the technical director. But he was elevated from a first-team assistant to a technical director, which is a big change. Like he, yeah. that had not been his main, he had not had no real former uh, front office experience at that point. And he came in at a time that was really tumultuous uh, aside from all the things that would eventually go on. But like at the time they were getting ready to move their Academy from Arizona uh, into Utah that came with building this whole building out this whole new training facility where they were going to house like the academy and the USL team and all this other stuff. 
Then they were going to launch the USL team. Uh, they were also bringing in at the same time, I, I'm pretty sure they were bringing in uh, Real, the, uh, the NWSL team. And yeah. I don't know how much oversight he had over that, but there was just a lot going on organizationally when he took over and, uh, and they didn't have much of a transfer budget. And then, and then that sort of like transitioned into, you know, he hired Mike Pecky to be the head coach of uh, Real Monarchs, which was the USL team. Uh, they ended up having to fire Jeff Kassar, who was the coach just for bad performance. Uh, Mike Pecky gets installed in his place. And then Mike Pecky, I don't know, you probably remember this situation better than I do, but what happened with Mike Pecky? Um, he was upset about a referee decision and um, abused that referee with homophobic language in a different language than English. I think he, I think yeah. most listeners can kind of put two and two together there, but, um, and then quite the lawsuit between Mike Pecky. Yeah, he got, he got fired as a result yeah. of it. Right. Yeah. So he got fired and then, yeah, he fired a lawsuit. And in the process of that lawsuit coming out, I think it, it like Craig Weibel was quoted as saying something bad about Deloitte Hansen. Um, and that played out over the course of like three years. But in the meantime, there was the whole scandal on the business side of Andy Carroll, who was the president of the team, uh, creating like a toxic work environment and Deloitte Hansen saying all this racist stuff. And all this was playing out while uh, RSL made three, the playoffs three times in five years. And they were going out and signing guys like Albert Rusnak and Demir Krylock and Jefferson Sabarino. And they were, they had one of the, the most productive academies in terms of producing MLS quality players. And so I, I think that you have to sort of take all of that together to understand what Craig Weibel was dealing with when he was at RSL. Yeah. And I, I think kind of the, the whelmedness about the hire of Craig Weibel just kind of comes from not really understanding anything that that come like because because why would you like i don't blame anybody or any kind of sounders fan for not knowing the inner workings of real salt lake uh as at a time when you know for instance this was in 2019 when the sounders were one uh on their way to win mls cup and two kind of we most fans were kind of on the they're paying attention to the iron front stuff more or less um, so why would you, why would you know all this stuff was happening? But since then, I do kind of want to talk about like him getting hired in 2021 with the Sounders. What, like, what did he do man, to kind of, cause, cause you don't just get hired and then 18 right. months later, your boss leaves and then you take your boss's job. Uh, like what did he do to kind of cement himself with the organization and kind of what did he do to earn this position well i think to fully understand that i think we have to sort of go back to the hiring process of why how he ended up getting the job in the first place uh you know when chris henderson left to take the miami job the sounders spent several months uh basically trying to make sure they got the hire right to replace chris henderson uh chris henderson at the time was sort of like their lead talent evaluator and so understandably they they wanted to be really uh, meticulous about finding uh, the right person to replace them. And there wasn't necessarily like a pressing need to do it immediately. And so they, they had like a, a pretty long, a multi-month process. 
They brought in a ton of people to be interviewed. Uh, Craig, I think, or Weibel went, went through something like three different rounds of interviews. At one point he had to, you know, he had to make actually like a, a written presentation and he came out, you know, with flying colors and, and everyone seemed to agree that he was the, the top candidate. And I'll add that that was, you know, there's been some questions about the, like the Rooney rule uh, as it pertains to his hiring this time. And my understanding is part of what was taken into account was the process that he went through to get the job in the first place, which, which did satisfy the, the Rooney rule at the time. Uh, but uh, there was a few other criteria that were used that the Sounders essentially were given a pass by the league to, to go ahead and just promote him. Uh, one of them was that they really are supportive of internal hires, especially when those internal hires have demonstrated qualifications for the job. Uh, Weibel had received at least one other offer to be a GM uh, between the time that he was hired for the Sounders. Uh, he, I, my understanding is he was offered one job and that he actually took himself out of consideration for two others. And, uh, and so he was clearly a, uh, you know, someone that other teams wanted. And so yeah. they can sort of demonstrate that if we don't hire him, we're probably going to lose him. Uh, but then beyond that, uh, it was also, you know, like, the, yeah, I guess that was, those are the, the, the main criteria that they were able to sort of like get out of going through the, Oh, I, no, I, I take it back. There was one other element. The other element to the Rooney rule that came into effect was the Sounders have demonstrated over, quite a bit of time that they are pretty committed to uh, diverse hiring. Uh, they're one of the teams that have gone through like the most uh, effort to increase uh, awareness uh, internally over making sure that they are thorough in those ways. And uh, you know, they have de proper DEI pro practices and all these other kinds of things. So it, just sort of broadly speaking, yeah. uh, the league kind of gave them a pass on that. Uh, but so that, all that, I, I bring that up because that did, I think, factor into why he was promoted. Like they, like to hear Adrian say it, you know, almost as soon as they hired him, they saw him as a potential successor to Garth. And that was part of what made him so attractive was that they thought that, uh, you know, he, he was going to be someone that uh, would stick around. You may or may not know this, but he has really strong ties to the area. He went to UW, he coached at UW, he grew up in Spokane, uh, he played, he played for the Sounders draft. for a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, he played for the Sounders. Uh, he was actually drafted by the A-League Sounders, uh, played here for, I think, two seasons during the A-League days, and then he came on loan uh, after he went to MLS a couple times, and he played for, for Brian kind of briefly uh, at uh, in the USL days. So he has he is very strong. His, I think his wife's from here too. So which is to say that he, he's got interest in like basically making this his forever uh, his forever destination. Uh, but in the, since he's been here actually working for the Sounders, uh, you know, he was a, he was really the architect of the, if you remember this, they sort of came up with this, this health and say this health program that was designed to make sure that they were as fit as possible for the CONCACAF champions league run. And he was apparently the architect of, of that whole system. Uh, you know, he's been their main talent about main talent evaluator during those years or these last 18 months, they haven't done a lot of signing admittedly since then. Basically like, too. <laughs> yeah. Albert Rusnak is probably the, the most notable one, but they also signed Leo Chu. I don't know. And so it's like, whether or not you want to give him credit for or blame for either one of those, that's, that's fair to say, but they just haven't, there hasn't been a lot of roster churn. 
uh, in the time that he's been here. But he's also been pretty uh, influential in creating like this whole loan system that they're starting to implement where yeah. they've sent out a ton of guys, uh, relatively speaking to what they've done in the past. Uh, you know, they, they sent Ethan Dobler to, uh, to Chichia. They sent uh, Alfonso uh, Ocampo-Chavez and Kita Sidahara to, uh, to Austria. Uh, they sent Sam Adenarin to San Antonio. Uh, I think technically they also sent Alex Villanueva and Ray Serrano on loan. Uh, although those were a little less, those are different kinds of situations. And Ray Serrano's contract went, ran out and he signed with Louisville. So, I mean, he's been, so a lot of the stuff that he's done has not necessarily been the stuff that shows up like really glaringly obvious, but he's done a lot behind the scenes. Everyone seems to really like him. They seem to really feel like he's strong uh, in talent evaluation he's you know he has good systems in place and i think we're also going to end up seeing a bunch of internal promotions uh my suspicion is guys like sean henderson henry brown or steve cook uh these are sort of guys that work in the developmental part of the system uh sean henderson is uh the the lead talent scout but i i think we're going to see some promotions and i think we're going to sort of see like a broad sort of like reassignment of responsibilities and and maybe they end up hiring another person or two, but I mean, I think I, I feel pretty good about where they are, especially in the short term, in part because they don't necessarily need to churn their roster a lot going into 2023. If they can make one big signing and stay relatively healthy, I think this is a team that should compete for MLS Cup, frankly. That's an interesting take that you think the team that, that won the Champions League last season right. and, and dealt with a lot of injuries might end up being good this season. It, um, it, I'm, I'm really going on the limb. <laughs> um, I think that's kind of maybe an interesting place to take this conversation. It's like <clears throat> we've been fo- so sort of the last co- week, really, 10 days, focused on like sort of the past and the present. But, uh, you know, with what Garth has done, you know, hiring Craig now and then like what, what's going to change. But I'm obviously primary, primarily interested with seeing the Sounders win soccer games. Um, that's yeah. really, really important to me. Um, <laughs> but like the Garth leaves the roster in a state that's, I wouldn't say bad. I also wouldn't say incredible. Yeah. Um, the be- maybe the best player the Sounders have ever had is entering the last year of his contract after a uh, less than stellar year on the pitch. And then a year before that, he barely played at all. Mm-hmm. Um, their other best player, currently best player, maybe the best goal scorer ever, uh, missed more games than he has in a season in his career. Um, some of the younger guys on the roster not doing as well as we thought they would. But of course, if you look at the rest of the world of this sport, young players aren't developing on a kind of a linear path because of a global pandemic. And also we have kind of two local hero types that are entering the last year or last years of their contract in Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan. So in 12 months, we could be having a very, we we could have very Absolutely. different opinions about Craig Weibel. So what is he going to do? 
I mean, I think that that's a, those are all totally valid concerns. I think it's, it's interesting because it, to, in my mind, what it's done is it's basically given him a year or at least six months to sort of like plot out a plan. And in that way, I don't think the timing is so bad, but you're right. Like this is, this is coming at the end of a, like a, a cycle, uh, a cycle. That's good yeah. put it. This is definitely, we're at the tail end of a cycle uh, right now. And I think, that's probably the right time for if he's going to step away, probably leaving at the tail end of a cycle like that makes a lot of sense. Garth, uh, that is. Garth, that is. Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I think the biggest decision and maybe we didn't spend enough time talking about this before, but the biggest decision is probably circle around Christian Roldan and Jordan Morris. Like you sort of alluded to here, you know, these are two potential cornerstone players of the team who are coming into the last year of their contract. They're both at an age where I guess you could argue this is their last big contract. And, you know, there was some reporting. Especially for the the positions that they play in. Right. Especially for the positions they play in. You know, they're on World Cup roster right now, obviously. Neither one of them are going to play a ton. But, you know, if they're going to make a move, like if they both, like if they're interested in making a move to Europe, this is the time that they are going to have to do it. Uh, I, I, I know there's been some reporting out there that suggested that they're looking for, I, I guess, max, like over, like full DP contract. Reporting. <laughs> right. Reporting. Uh, there's a tweet from someone who has questionable sourcing. I don't know. I honestly don't know how, how true that is. I, I would suspect that both players would be willing to stay for less than, you know, essentially the max DP, like the, to still be tamable you'd have to make more than $1.7 million. I don't know that either player is in a position to, to like demand more than that right now. And doesn't that change in 2024 to like 2.2? Yeah, it keeps going up, right? It, yeah. it keeps going up. Uh, I mean, point being like, I don't, I could see them both getting something like one five and I don't think that would be crazy for them to, to get that. Uh, but the Sounders frankly would be crazy to lock up to like, two full DP spots in Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan. Like I love them as players. I, I don't necessarily think they are their DPs uh, at that level. Uh, but if you can get, you know, maybe one of them is classified as a DP and you can have three U22 players and two other full DPs like that, that would make sense to me. Um, but, you know, I, I, but I think that I think a lot of that comes down to like what do they want to do? Like if Jordan wants to go to Europe, I, I don't think it's the craziest thing to let him play out the last year of his contract and and he can go to Europe next year when when he's a free agent. Like good like if he wants that, yeah. I think and he's if he earned that right, you know, and if he leaves on a free and he doesn't leave for a transfer free, that means they retain his rights, at right. least under kind of current Absolutely. roster rules, and then he comes back for his last hurrah or whatever, um, which the Sounders love bringing people back. <laughs> they sure do. Uh, and Christian rolled on. I mean, I suppose you can make the same argument. Like maybe, you know, if he really wants to pursue Europe, I think for sure he's someone that probably needs to be able to go there on a free. And if, Hey, if that's what they both want to do, you know, good for them. Like yeah. I, I don't begrudge either one. Like they put in their time here and if they want to go to Europe and they think they can get, two, $3 million a year, or it's not even about the money for them. They just want to see if they can hang in Europe and, and they think they can go to a, a championship team or a, 
or even like a premier, a lower, you know, premier league or Bundesliga team or something like that, go for it, man. Like, I think the Sounders should just be supportive of them doing it, but if they want to come back here, uh, the Sounders would obviously be crazy to just let them walk, but I don't think you can overly, you can, you can't commit too much to either one of them, but those to me, that's probably the biggest decision. Uh, you know, my, I, I think Nico sort of like answers himself. I, 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 my suspicion is that he plays this year, you know, maybe he's really good and they, they work out a deal to, to extend him. I don't think you can bring him back as a DP beyond this year though. Um, you know, Rui Diaz, go ahead. I was going to say, we, on previous shows kind of talked about the idea of like Maxi Morales type deal where, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, and you know, Rui Diaz is a player who like, if he can stay healthy, I think he's worth what you're paying for him, but he's committed. You know, he, you, he's already locked in for a couple of years anyway. I don't, I don't know that there's one way or the other. That's sort of like, that's a locked in cost. Uh, Russ Knack will be interesting to see what happens with him. Uh, and then there's obviously all these little, these other potential transfer moves. Like, I don't know, like new who hasn't lit the world on fire at the world cup, but he has started all three games. Uh, I suppose it's not outside the realm of possibility that someone would make the Sounders an offer that would be uh, attractive. And I think if you can get a million bucks for new who you probably take it, you, you probably take it and you celebrate. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, Ariaga didn't play during this tournament. I don't imagine that his value has changed at all. I think he'll be back. Uh, but and he I wants do... to go on loan to his previous club to help them win their no, Champions League. I don't think that's a, I don't think there's uh, anything to I... that. Okay. No, I think I, that was a. I think that was complete. <laughs> that was a complete fabrication. I don't. I don't think there's any like teams in Ecuador aren't going aren't paying uh, guys like Ariaga got enough money to justify uh, loans. Uh, that's good but, to know because that was weird. Yeah, that was weird. That's not. That's <laughs> that was not happening. Uh, but you know the one. I I don't know. Maybe we haven't talked about this, but I would say the the one move that I'm really curious about. You know, Danny Leva is someone who proved himself at the MLS level. I think he's probably an MLS starter for most teams. I don't know that he's a starter right now for uh, the Sounders, but I I don't think it's at all out of the realm of possibility that the Sounders could find either a loan or a full transfer for him to go to someplace like Spain or Mexico. And if they can do that, I don't see why not. Like he like yeah. there's there's going to be a legitimate logjam for minutes at central midfield when you have Joe Paolo, who looks like he's totally fit and ready to go. Albert Rusnak, Obed Vargas, Josh Atencio, Danny Leva. Uh, and that's before you even get to like, where's Christian Roldan's best position. Uh, and what's Nico Ladero's best position. And you kind of go like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of players there. There's a lot of minutes. I realize that there is, you know, there's going to be more competitions this year that that complicates things a little bit, but if you I, I still think it's going to be hard to satisfy all those, those needs with the raw and, and, you know, there's injuries that happen and sometimes this stuff works itself out. But if there's one area that you can afford to make a move, like, and I do think it's sort of important for the Sounders future to start making moves like that. Like, they yeah, I just... think, I think, to, I think like selling Danny Leva for whatever fee they, they decide is acceptable acceptable helps them tell their story it helps yes. them tell their story to academy players helps them even tell their story to uh you know foreign players that they want to sign it helps them tell their story to the national team like it 
benefits them more than just this one player because they can go to the next Danny Leva, who, um, you know, isn't from Seattle that they kind of recruited into their residency right. program. They can go to that player's family when he, when he's 12 or 13 years old and say, Hey, look, look yeah, at the life that we provide. Yeah. You know, like we provided a first team opportunity for this player because he was good enough on the merits. And for this and that reason, he didn't become insanely good. Like we thought he may have, you know, there were times when Danny Leva was kind of seen as the most talented player in his age group in that national team. Um, but look, we, we did the work to help him find a place overseas or in Mexico and look at how he's thriving there or whatever. And I think that that tells the story to the next five Danny Levas that, Hey, this is a place worth, you know, their, their family decides this is a place worth going to. It also helps them put, them on the map because maybe there's a player that they want to sign in Germany or Spain or whatever that when they're talking to that player, they get to be able to be like, Hey, that, you know, that player played with Danny Leva or whoever. And it's like, there's good, there's, there's good stories to tell about the Sounders. And that's something I want to be a part of. Yeah. I, I think that that's a huge part of what the Sounders sort of like need to be. They talked about this a little bit on, uh, on extra time about how the Sounders sort of like need to, they, they probably need to lean into their Academy as a little bit more of like defining what they are. And I don't think that's entirely wrong. Like I, I, I don't agree with everything they said about this transition, <laughs> but I do think that they had some, there was some truth to the idea that, you know, they have all the makings of an elite Academy, but what's holding them back from being seen as an elite Academy is that they haven't, you know, I realize they sold DeAndre Yedlin and, you know, they, they, they have definitely sent some players to Europe, but they haven't made like a big sale of a player that they produced basically from start to finish. And Danny Leva is potentially that player. Uh, you know, Obed Vargas would be another one who, who would potentially fit that bill. But once they, it, I think what we saw in Philadelphia and what you saw in Dallas is like, once you make that first sale, the second sale starts gets a lot easier. And then once you make that second sale, the third sale, it's just like each sale gets easier and easier because you start to become sort of like a brand on the international market. And if the Sounders can do that, you know, there's really no, there's no limit to what they, they can sort of do. And, and, and where that pays off isn't just the transfer fees itself, but like you get a, you can, you can really build up your allocation money that way. Yeah. You know, LA, people kept asking like how is LAFC able to keep making all these moves and it wasn't that they were selling academy players but they did sell a bunch of you know players who they bought relatively young and they were able to sell at profits and you make a few of those sales where you're getting max allocation out of it which is I think a million dollars uh that gives you a lot of flexibility on your roster yeah I would push back a little bit on some of the narrative that like this you know the Sounders Academy narrative compared to Dallas or Philadelphia, even the Sounders are are were kind of at a disadvantage with their academy and their academy products because they were already an elite team when MLS academies became yeah, kind absolutely. of in vogue. So the jump that players from their academy had to make to their first team was so much higher than it was yeah, for, for the Philadelphia true. and Dallas, who were teams that weren't even qualifying for the playoffs every season, let alone winning MLS cups or winning supporter shields. 
I know that Philadelphia has become that type of team, obviously, in a large part because they have had a manager for eight years that has been like rigorously dedicated to giving young players minutes. And, you know, I could do a whole show about Jim Curtin because I love him. But the set, like, the Sounders were at the top when it kind of became important to sign homegrown players and stuff. And they weren't FC Dallas who were barely finishing sixth in the West and could, could bring through all of these players. I mean, like Kellen Acosta has been on three ML. He's on his third MLS team at this point, And he was like one of their best Academy. Pro- Anyways, I just, I, yeah, no, I mean, that, that's a, that's totally fair. I think that's, and that's, you know, there's two separate things here though. I think one of them is a criticism of what the Sounders have done now. And, and then a, uh, a sort of prediction of what they need to do in the future. And I agree with you. I think, I think casting what they've done in the past up until now as somehow uh, not insufficient, I think is unfair because they've won a ton. They have produced MLS quality players and, and it's like compared to everyone except for literally Philadelphia and Dallas, I think their Academy stands up very well uh, almost like across the board, but um yeah, I mean, I, I and so I think that they've actually done pretty well at producing players. It's just that to take that next step, I think this is the next element. Like this, is, yeah, they got it. Sure. Like being able to sell players uh, for seven-digit transfer fees is really, you know, that's that's where you can start to see some real. You know, I, I, I think that it would unlock some real, uh, you know, some real specialness. Uh, lack of a better uh, word, um, but yeah. Cool. Well, so uh, one really interesting thing that Craig said in his uh, introductory press conference was uh, about scouting and signing a player that vaguely was playing in the round of 16 of the World Cup. And I think that that's probably a really interesting thing for us to talk about to our listeners, because yeah, the World Cup is happening right now, even though it's December it is 35 degrees outside of my house. There's a bunch of snow on the ground. Uh, and that's weird. But let's kind of dig in on that a little bit. Is it this World Cup? Is it a different World Cup? Is it happening this window? Is it just kind of that's the caliber of player that he wants to bring in from the foreign market? Tell me tell me more about what you know about that situation. Yeah, so it was a funny – it was a funny um... – exchange uh maz vita who's uh covers the the sounders for shout out um, to maz yeah for cascadia sports uh basically asked uh you know like a, a question that i think a lot of gms would just blow off uh because they're not gonna like show their cards but he basically asked him like anyone at the world cup that you're scouting and he said <laughs> he basically said like like yeah we are actually and he sort of alluded to the idea that uh that it was a player or players who were still alive or already qualified for the round of 16 and um and i think and and then he he kind of like i think mazmi even asked like for clarification on like which which teams are you looking at or something (laughs) And and he said well i'll tell you it's 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 players from a, a region that we've never signed someone from or something oh, like, and it was like, Whoa, wow, you're, you're really like dropping some breadcrumbs <laughs> here. And I guess this is sort of his MO. Like he did this. Yeah. In RSL. 
uh, I didn't know this, but he's like, I guess he likes this. Like he likes yes. Matt Montgomery from uh, RSL Soapbox was telling us about you should you should get a lot more comfortable with the flow of information because right. Craig Craig likes to say stuff like this, whereas for the lack of a better term, Garth Lagerwey was a bullshit artist. Yeah, he, he definitely he he, perf- he perfected the art of like saying a lot without giving you anything. Which he's a lawyer, so that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I think it like to me it sort of narrowed it down. Um, I, I, I at least to me it felt like it sort of narrowed it down to probably like three teams. Uh, I and I could be wrong, but like Morocco, Japan, South Korea to me were the teams that. Well, stood we've had out. a South Korean player before. Kim we, you're right. I guess we have had a South Korean yeah. player. That's a, that's a good point. We have had Kim Kihi. So. Uh, it, maybe it's down to to just Japan and um, and Morocco. I will say both. And the thing I like about both of those teams, they have a lot of players who are like the type of player that MLS is now looking at, which is guys who are sort of like on the periphery of uh, early twenties, doing well in domestic or lower leagues. Right, those, that type of or thing, have, or or like they're stuck on the end of a roster of like a league un team, or they are, uh, you know, they're they're good in Japan. Like there's a like Japan is a everyone was everyone. I think everyone on their roster actually came through the J League. Yeah, um, they were all developed by J League academies, which is incredible, which is amazing. Yeah, uh, there's like a I, there's a, a guy whose name is escaping me right now, but he uh, said basically over the last thirty years the J league went from like 10 teams to like 60 teams across three divisions. And like basically every part of Japan now has a, uh, has multiple teams in it. And it's like this really robust soccer uh, development environment, which is pretty, and they, pretty amazing. And they have incredible mascots. They all and have incredible at, mascots. Their, at, their atmospheres at their games is amazing. Um, yeah. I may or may not have gotten kind of into the J league during the pandemic. <laughs> oh, did you? So kind kind of. Do you have like a like, J League team? No, I was just kind of like it was on like at weird hours, and I wasn't sleeping well. And okay, there were games happening, and um, it's an interesting league. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I think if I had to if I had to pick one, it would be probably, and I'm going to butcher this because I'm really bad at names, but uh, Cash and Mia Antlers. Oh, the, I love, yeah, the, yeah. I love the, their logo. So. Yeah, they do have a good logo. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll tell you, I in in kind of digging through all this stuff, <clears throat> and I have no, I don't really have any. This is like basically a, a guess. But uh, the one player who kind of jumps out at me as as sort of like I would love it if this was true, in part because he's got the greatest name, Shudo Machino. I think is his name. <laughs> And I don't know if that actually means shooting machine, but I love the idea that there's a player whose name sounds like that. And he uh, plays as a striker. And he plays as a striker. Uh, he's he's like 23 or 24 years old. He's like 6'1", I think. And uh, he actually played for uh, John Hutchinson. I think he played for John Hutchinson, who is the former Defiance head coach who actually was in Japan uh, with Yokohama Mariners. And there's just a lot, and he seems to be at like the right price according to transfer market um, to potentially be a tangible player. Uh, but there's just like, I, I was a fascinating. I started looking at the Japanese and the Morocco rosters, especially, and it's like, 
every every player, all their strikers are like relatively young and like not crazy. Like, and there's a bunch of them who aren't crazy expensive, but they have like stats that sort of like make you very like intrigued. Yeah. And I'm all about that. Yeah. <laughs> and I know too. I know signing a Japanese player would be really cool for the region. It would be. It so. would be really cool. And then we, you know, remember Chris Henderson was like make, making commercials about going to Japan and scouting players. Yeah. Before he left. <laughs> <clears throat> and I think in the, in the world of football, kind of Asia or East Asia is um, underutilized. And absolutely. Of, it's it, it like does there seem are like very there good players there a... that don't get an opportunity that maybe other European nations get. And uh, I'm not qualified to talk about the reasons for that, but I have some ideas I'm sure you do too. <laughs> I mean, I would love to, I think it would like, you would love to see a world where there's like a, a Japan MLS pipeline, like flows both ways. Uh, yeah. Because it's like, I think there's a lot of, especially for West coast teams, especially for a team like, uh, like the white caps or the sounders who have really strong ties to that part of the world. Um, or their, their cities have really strong ties to those parts of the world. Uh, I think that, it, it's like a no-brainer it's, and it's just sort of like getting that going i know i know um the whitecaps have signed a few players from east asia uh the sounders obviously had kim kihi but a more robust sort of like movement would be really cool i think yeah and there's only been like less than a dozen japanese players in mls history so right w- which feels weird does feel weird and there's only been five from south korean so yeah there you go uh cool well uh good luck to craig anything else that we should talk about other than kind of how normal a name craig is uh (laughs) yeah it's a very normal name it's it's nothing like jeremiah that's no no much more in the mark category yeah yeah, not in the Bible though. So, oh right, uh, right. I've got that. Point. I've yeah, got, got that, that on him. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Garth is also a pretty normal name. Uh, yeah. Well, cool. Well, uh, hopefully, saying Craig has a normal name doesn't prevent him from coming on the podcast at some point. And having a <laughs> no, I I have a feeling. My suspicion. Uh, I, I reached out to the Sounders about getting him on a podcast on our podcast, and they're like, "You tell us when you want to do it." So cool. I, I get the sense Craig is a uh, someone who enjoys this aspect of like, like without going over the board. I I, I suspect he'll be reasonably accessible. Um, a little story I, I I thought was very funny. You know, I was talking to him, sort of like small talk after the press conference. And he was wearing this jacket that's sort of like one of these uh, shirt jacket kind of things where it has like two pockets that have like, uh, what do they, they call it? A jacket. Okay. So in the, kind of a in the world, of, a world of fashion. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I asked him like what he calls that. And he says, I call this my interview jacket. And it's the only, it's because it's the only uh, jacket I own, like the only like fancy jacket I own. And I thought that it was just like, ah, I like this. I like that yeah. the sounders have a, have someone who doesn't have an abundance of uh of suit of suits like that's like that's at some point i have a feeling the sounders will have a gm 
who is like always well-dressed and it will be very sad. Well, Atlanta has that and he's not a very good GM. So yeah. <laughs> and, and if Craig needs fashion tips, we have Tim Foss here to help him out. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, well, we'll certainly be talking about Craig for as long as Craig's in the job. <laughs> and yeah, maybe, uh, maybe hopefully a long time. Yeah. And obviously hopefully soon we'll be able to talk to him on the show. Yeah. But uh, do you have any closing thoughts about anything happening? No. I, we're, bo- we're both watching two different World Cup games right now and they're kind of crazy. I know. So. I know. <laughs> yeah, that, I think you have the, the better game. You're watching what, Serbia, Switzerland, and I'm watching Cameroon, yeah. Brazil. Um, I will say that Nuhu seems, he's been on a yellow card almost all game and he's he's been pretty good. Uh, even this, I didn't see the yellow card, but he's since then he's been, although now he's now going down with a, a cramp of some sort. But uh, yeah, it will be this, this World Cup has been absolutely bonkers. Yeah, I was kind of hoping at some point to do a show like talking about the Sounders at the World Cup, but uh, they're basically There's not much to talk, to talk about. about. So yeah, yeah. Uh, well, until next time. Uh, I am Mark Kastner, and that has been Jeremiah O'Shan, and this has been the Sounder at Heart podcast.